Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Good evening and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark Daly and the Ham Dog here to wrap up a somewhat busy week in Formula One. Mr. Hamilton, how's it going tonight, sir? My friend, happy Diwali. How are you? How is the family? Everything with me is is good. It's been a busy week. I find myself oh, migrating more and more to the office and less and less time work from home. So I think that era of my life that I will always reflect back on <laughs> somewhat fondly of working out of my basement every day is it's rapidly coming to an end. But dude, I'm doing great. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Just like yourself, it's been like a crazy busy week. It's it's now Thursday night, so that means the, the weekend is now directly in... It's in the headlights, let's put it that way. I, I can see it now. It's it's the next off-ramp to your right, and I, I'm looking forward. I don't have anything really planned for this weekend, but I'm just looking forward to finishing off some home improvement projects that I started a couple of weeks ago, and then I never got a chance to finish, and the last couple of weekends since I started, I've been busy with... With other things so i got to finish the caulking and putting the shower stall back together which was something that really needed doing but uh yeah that that's that's how bad my week has been is that i'm actually looking forward to doing like handiwork around the house from the honeydew jar so yeah so how about yourself you, you ready for the the mexican grand prix this weekend you have like your oversized yeah, I- sombrero or you have the mariachi band all ready to go yeah, I know a lot of our listeners specifically tailor their their menus on a race weekend to the location that we're racing nice. in. And I think I'll probably nice. probably do the same. It won't be super authentic, but I'll I'll definitely steer my uh, steer my weekend menus towards something resembling Mexican food, um, or yeah. at the very least, something resembling Tex-Mex, which I think probably infuriates all of our Mexican listeners, and we've got quite a few <laughs> of them. But yeah, I'm super excited. I, I like this race, and I'll, I'll share yeah. why in a couple of minutes. But you know what? We've got a ton of really fun stuff to talk about, and I know the championships, both of them are tied up, but there's still so much going on that I think we can probably stay busy for for the next three or four months. And the funny thing is, man, as I was sitting here kind of putting together the outline for the show, it, it, it kind of dawned upon me, and this isn't the first time I've had that realization, but we could do a 45-minute news show five days a week. Like That's just oh, how busy easy. the world of Formula easy. One is. Easy. Yeah. And I feel like we have to cut so much stuff from the show. Like I cut, for every show worth of material we put together, we probably cut two two shows worth of content just because we can't be here for more than an hour and a half, and you're not going to listen for more than an hour and a half. But I think in a perfect world, if we had the ability, we'd probably be banging out two or three of these these a week so stay with us during the off season because to me that's when a lot of the best news comes out 
Yeah, absolutely. And hey, you know, why did you have to bring up the food thing? Because, you know, Mexico, you know, Mexican food, you know, it's fantastic. One of my best friends is from Mexico City. So anytime like I'm in the mood for like Mexican food, I always hit up my buddy Jorge and it's just like, okay, tell me the latest and greatest. Like, like, where do I need to go around town? Because, you know, there, there's more Mexican places like as time goes on, like uh, up here in yeah. Vancouver. But if I want to find out like the latest and greatest, like the best places to go, I'll always like uh, send him a message. It's like, where do I need to go and try? And he'll, he'll give me, uh, he'll give me all the, he'll give me the lowdown. So now that you said that I'm craving tacos and uh, it's, it's already like 930 we're in the middle of recording so we're so going to be here prefer, for another 90 minutes mm. i gotta ask this question do you prefer sure. hard shell or soft shell soft shell yeah me too yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah now yeah now I, I'm, I'm gonna be texting him like jorge right as, uh, as soon as this is over because we're gonna be here for the next 90 minutes my t- stomach is grumbling so let's why don't we just dive right into the show here do it do and- it I wanted to, before we start to getting into the the actual meat of the news and stuff like that, I had a couple of really good emails uh, over the last week or so. Just wanted to, to read these ones out. First one comes from Ryan Vermeulen in Saskatoon. And uh, this is actually from last week. Didn't get a chance to throw it into last week's show uh, before the, uh, the the U.S. Grand Prix. So just to give a little bit of context to, to that is uh, you know, Ryan's email is talking about uh, Danny Ricardo. And uh, I'll just read it out. I just saw the video McLaren posted of uh, Daniel riding on a horse to the U.S. Grand Prix with a musician played alongside him. In my opinion, Daniel's putting on a happy face, but I don't really think he wants to do this or is actually enjoying it. McLaren is draining every last drop out of Daniel while they can. In the last two years, Daniel's probably quadruples McLaren popularity. McLaren knew what they were doing when they hired him. The amount of social media he does for them is far greater than any other driver for any other team. There is no way that all this extra credit work has contributed to has not contributed to his mental fatigue. It's not the sole reason for his declining performance, but has definitely contributed to it. Do you see Max Lewis, Charles, etc., doing numerous videos on a weekly basis and then having to do all these extra stunts during race week? Not a chance. If there is a surefire way to prevent your driver from being totally focused, rested, fully prepared, and in the right mental state of mind to perform at their best, then this is it. Some blame does fall on Daniels. He allows himself to be used to this uh, degree. He's spoken of this before. He's just too nice to say no, essentially. Anyways, I saw that video. My first thought that this was not uh, this was cool, but rather that this is kind of sad. What are your thoughts on this? Do you agree with me? Cheers, Ryan from Saskatoon. So, yeah, I think there's uh, probably a little bit uh, to this, uh, you know, speaking as uh, what we were talking about before we jumped uh, into the studio here, just uh, like just how insanely busy we are with our own lives and just uh, trying to, you know, get the kids to school, try to take care of this, try to take care of that. And some days, you know, I get to the office to start working and obviously I'm not driving a Formula One car, but sometimes I feel mentally drained before the days even started, just trying to get people out of the house and trying to get them to school and and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I, I think there is there is something to it. I mean, it, you know, anytime you're just like dividing your focus, that uh, th- there is, it, it's not a bad, or sorry, not a good thing. And I mean, the, the more you do it, like Daniel does, I mean, that uh, potentially could impact uh, what he's doing. I mean, uh, you know, if you're not focusing, if you're not resting, you're not going to be in that, uh, that that premium spot. But uh, that's kind of interesting that, yeah, just maybe I, 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 I saw the video, but I didn't actually watch it. I saw it pop up in my timeline but uh i just uh but my initial reaction is like oh there's uh here we are at uh, coda again there's danny and like the, the the you know the big stetson he's got the western outfit on which looks pretty cool but it's like almost become par for the course you know it's it's almost like clockwork right. you know thursday at coda there goes daniel wearing the uh, the cowboy boots and cowboy hat so i thought it was a good one so cheers for that Ryan. What, what do you think 
Yeah, super interesting email. Although I admittedly, and I ever since, ever since Daniel, because you and I have been doing the show together since he was at Renault, ever since we've yeah. been doing the show and he's been with McLaren, we talked about what a huge marketing boon he's been for that team and that organization. Oh, he's wildly sure. popular yep. in the US. McLaren themselves are widely popular in the US. I think it might be really challenging to draw that direct kind of line between Daniel Ricardo and his popularity in the US and the popularity of McLaren in the US. Although, I don't know, like I just, I feel like obviously he's contributed to it, but I think Lando's also very popular. And I think Zach Brown's done a mm-hmm. really great job of cultivating um, fandom with that team in, in the US market. Uh, that said though, like I, I get it, like he's in a really difficult position right now, which is nobody wants to be a lame duck on a Formula One team and have to face the scrutiny and face the wrath of reporters every single weekend. Like that's a really unenviable position to be in, especially given the fact that he basically had to negotiate his way out of a third year of a contract that he didn't want to negotiate negotiate his way out of. But ultimately, the reason that contract came to an end and the reason he's not going to be driving them for them next year is simply because he's not delivering as a Formula One driver. And that's really unfortunate because he's such a likable guy. But ultimately, this is very much a Daniel Ricardo problem. And I think McLaren gave him plenty of time. They gave him a year and a half, which is an eternity in the world of Formula One. And he wasn't able to put in the consistently great drives necessary for that team to stay committed to that three-year deal. And I think it's super unfortunate. And we'll talk a little bit more about Daniel Ricardo because we've got a story about him later in the show. Yep. Um, but yeah, I sympathize for him because it's probably a really awkward position to be in that you have to go to the track every single weekend to compete for a team that really doesn't want you to be there and they've already found your replacement for next year. In fact, they found your replacement before you probably even knew you weren't coming back next year. Like it's not a great situation. The whole thing could have been handled better, but ultimately we're having this conversation because Daniel Ricardo didn't deliver as a Formula 1 driver for the better part of the last 2 years. Yeah. And there's a comment in the the live stream or the chat and live stream on YouTube. The flag stand says, come on, that's what part of uh, what Danny's paid millions of bucks for. Certainly. And uh, I guess the, the thing is, you know, where, where do you strike that fine line? Like when do the, the commitments and the, you know, the, what, what the, the team is asking become too much? And when does uh, Danny or whoever it is need to, um, you know, maybe say, you know, that this is, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, bandwidth is, you know, getting kind of stretched here. And th- this is coming from someone that I have this unfortunate condition where I can't say no. <laughs> so I completely understand where, where Daniel might be coming from, because, you know, I literally have like four jobs, a podcast and all this stuff, you know, to do with my kids. And anytime somebody asks to do one more thing, yeah, could you, could you help me out with this? I'm always kind of like, oh, yeah, sure. And then afterwards, I kind of like, I'm like, I should really one of these days, maybe just be a little bit selfish and say, yeah, Hammy, I don't want to do this podcast this time. I, no, I'm just kidding. This- <laughs> I feel bad asking you to help me move this weekend now, but uh, but you've committed, so I do expect you to be at my place at 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, that, that's the problem when you have a pickup truck, right? You need it one weekend a year, and so do all of your friends. Absolutely. But uh, I, yeah, I'm just kidding. I don't have a pickup truck. I have an SUV. Anyways, okay, next email. I just to dive back into the, uh, into the mailbag here. Here comes from Parker and Danielle from beautiful Bend, Oregon. And their email is, hi, Mark and Mark. We just got back from Coda and understand the choice uh, you two and I'm sure many others made considering the rise in costs. I can confirm that, in fact, the race organizers did a much better job with track amenities, traffic directions, shuttle organizing and staffing. There's always struggle, struggles when you have 400K attendees, but you could tell they worked hard to improve from the chaos of last year and we weren't disappointed. The race was incredible to watch in person, especially since we assumed there wouldn't be too much drama, let alone two safety cars. 
If anyone's out there wondering if it's worth attending a race after the Drivers' Championship is decided, it most definitely is. Okay, and then he has a, a question for a future podcast, so we'll just uh, throw it in right now. So back to the future for Parker and Danielle. Sometimes I've heard comments on the show to the effect of, without design restrictions, these cars could be insane. How insane exactly? What would a car look like and drive like? Um, that could basically be anything that fit within the current dimension size driven by a human and on the ground. I would love to hear what a car without design limits, e.g. fuel type, safety considerations, previously outlawed technology would be able to do on an F1 circuit. Yeah, I mean, that that is fascinating. Thanks for the email, guys. They sent a, a nice yeah, selfie. And Parker and Danielle wearing the you know the big hats. Uh, she's wearing the, the Mercedes T-shirt. Parker wearing the, uh, the, the nice papaya orange McLaren shirt, obviously having the time of their lives. And it's it's beautiful and sunny there. And like I say, they're big, big happy smiles. And I'm jealous seeing this picture. But, so happy uh, they had a great time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, thanks for that email. And wow, um, to address that question, where would I go I, with that? I, I don't think see outlawed technology. I don't know that we're qualified to even start visualizing what a car, um, not handcuffed by a current technical regulation rule book, would look like. Mm. But I think, right off the top, wildly, wildly more aggressive arrow. I think for sure to create dramatically mm-hmm. more downforce. Um, Oh man, I don't, I don't even know where you would start. Yeah, I know. Like that, that is so. I'm gonna go, and I'm, I'm not gonna say that this is like, uh, you know, the low hanging fruit. But uh, you know, Parker did throw a bit of a. He gave us a bit of an out on this one when he said previously outlawed technology. So I'm gonna dive back like literally 30 years, and I would love to see a resurrection of active suspension that uh, that Williams pioneered in the uh, the early 90s. I guess late 80s, early 90s. I think Lotus had it too. I think they're the ones that first started developing it way back in the mid 80s but it was a uh, williams that took it and perfected it and that was on the car the williams fw14b which is the the car that nigel mansell drove in 1992 and this is basically a suspension system that would adjust for all the imperfections and changes to the track surface and keep the the, the ride height of the car at its most optimal um you know, the, the, the most optimal heights between the bottom of the floor and the track surface. And if you consider this was on the cars in the early 90s, I mean, that was literally decades ahead of its time. I don't, I don't think that's too much of, a, of a, an exaggeration. I mean, considering all the amazing tech that these cars have now and have had, you know, for, for many, many decades, active suspension is really cool. Just just go on to uh, YouTube and, and, and just uh, search that up, like the FW14 uh active suspension and you can see some like the, the the like there's some videos there of the car like in the williams garage kind of like uh, they're doing sort of like a diagnostic or a test on it and you can see the car just basically moving up and down it, it was really really cool tech and you think that this was on the car th- you know 30 years ago what could they do with it now so th- that would be one thing of outlawed technology i'd like to see that, come back that, that is that uh... and normally aspirated engines Oh, stop it. Turbochargers are <laughs> the absolute bomb. And I will fight you to the death about how great turbochargers are. But I think you you kind of kind of went down a really great pathway there with the 
active, the electronically controlled, computer controlled, potentially GPS directed uh, active suspensions. But I think the other two big, really obvious ones are around driver assist. And one of them would be traction control, which every modern road car has, but a Formula One car does not have, um, as well as ABS, which every modern road car has, but Formula One cars don't have. And of course, the obvious question is like, Formula One cars are worth tens of millions of dollars. Why don't they have these basic driver aids? And I think ultimately it just came down to the competitive spirit of the championship and making it as much about the drivers as, as possible. So I think there's a ton of really cool stuff that you can incorporate into the cars, but does it, does it relegate the driver to a much less relevant role within the navigation of these cars? Because active suspension is a hugely, hugely beneficial tool for creating Mm -hmm. grip and traction, especially in corners. Um, and likewise traction control and ABS, um, really alter the decision-making uh, of the driver and really relegate them to a secondary status in a lot of cases. But I think some of the obvious things for me is um, absolutely unleashing the teams in the wind tunnel and from an aerodynamic perspective, like for how many years and how many decades did we not have ground effects in these cars, right? Like yeah. we had flat four floors and you know, we could have had debt ground effects for decades and we didn't for Mm -hmm. a variety of different reasons. But I think if you look at the late two thousands and the aerodynamic packages on some of those cars, they were wild, but they were wild because the championship was running groove tires because they're trying to slow the cars down in the corners. And then they unleashed the designers. But uh, I think, yeah, like I I think active suspension, I think traction control, I think ABS. Um, Then again, I just think a lot of this devalues the role of the driver in the car. But I think we should probably get somebody on the show one day and put this question to them. Like, hey, look, given an unlimited budget and a completely disassembled technical regulations rule book, where would you start and what would that car look like? If if your cost cap was $500 million and you had Mm -hmm. no rule book, what does a car look like? Is it four wheel? Is it six wheel? Is it eight wheel? Does it have tracks? Does (laughs) it have a fan? From the 70s. Yeah, totally. Like, what does it look like? Yeah, yeah. The other thing, too, that I was thinking about, I'm struggling to remember the name now. I'm sure that as soon as I just start describing it, everybody will be screaming at their phones and their and everything is a like, daily, you idiot. This is what it is. But that what was it that the system that Mercedes had on their car last year where you push and pull the steering wheel and uh, effectively control the uh, or adjust the toe in and toe out was on the front? 2020? Was it 2020 or was, yeah, it must have been 2020 because yeah. uh, you remember they it was protested uh, pretty quickly. And I, I couldn't help but thinking that if it wasn't sort of I, well, who's who's to really say like what what was the peak of like Mercedes dominance from uh, 2014 to 2020? I mean, any one of those years. But I guess after so many years that they they came up with another potential advantage giver or game changer that everybody started to you know especially Red Bull protested right away. I'm just struggling to remember, and I know everybody at home screaming at their phones uh, what it is. Uh, but uh, I thought that was an interesting one, Dual and I thought that access steering. For those yes, of you at home. Thank you. I, yeah, I knew it, it was started very with much D. the 2020 yeah. season. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just couldn't help that uh, thinking to myself uh, when it happened, like wh- when it was banned in, in pretty short order, that if it wasn't after all these years of uh, Mercedes dominance, would the teams, other teams have protested so quickly? And was this maybe um, 
you know, a, a set of technology or a, a technology that was removed and really before they had a chance to, for everybody to to explore it. So I don't know if it was an opportunity missed, but definitely an opportunity maybe not fully explored. So why don't we According just According uh, to Road and Track, as a reminder or a refresher, for those of us that don't remember, forgot about it, or weren't watching F1 in 2020, uh, in February of 2020, the Mercedes-AMG Formula One team debuted a feature called Dual Access steering on its 2020 car, the W11, the technology visible to competitors because it involved physically the driver physically pulling on the steering column to adjust toe angle was a source of yeah. wide variety of analysis and controversy. It was ultimately allowed for 2020, but banned for 2021 and on. Mm -hmm. There you go. Cool. All right. Well, why don't we just take a quick break here and then we'll come back and we will dive into the news. Uh, you know, plenty of uh, things to talk about. So we'll start uh, doing that uh, after we take a break. So don't go, don't go away. Pardon me. We'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Well, welcome back. Well, the next thing that we have on the, the schedule here is our championship updates. Hammy, do you have the the the, the fantasy standings handy or handy here? Are you ready to go? Last time I, I asked you, you were all I ready sure to go. I sure do. I sure do. Awesome. I, Let's flip I it up. I planned this okay. in advance because the F1 fantasy site is so bad that it unreliably <laughs> delivers a disappointment in the form of a 404 error. But here it is because we've got tons of movement oh in the top 10. Number one from the UK, Andrew T, 3,908 points. Number two, also from the UK, Whitman R, 3,892 points. Number three, Aaron K, 3,885 points. Boys at tight at the top. Number four, also from the UK, Thaddeus F, 3,878 points. From Canada. Canada, Janko West, 3,860 points. Number six, Radic W for Yellow Racing, 3,785 points. Number seven, Marshall W, 3,740. Number eight from Canada, Adam J, 3,726 points. Number nine, Daffy A, 3,720 points. And number 10, an American cracking the top 10, checkered for Checo, time. Matthew B., 3,702 points. Just 206 points separate the top 10 folks 
in the championship wow. so far, and we still have three races left. So don't That's check awesome. out on your fantasy team yet like I did. <laughs> All right. Uh, nice work, everybody. We'll be sure to uh, keep uh, updating everyone and following that for the rest of the year, obviously. Okay, the uh, Constructors' Ed Championship that was wrapped up at uh, the U.S. Grand Prix last weekend. Red Bull currently with 656 points, Ferrari 469, Mercedes 416, Alpine 144, McLaren 138. So I know that uh, it's all said and done at the top, but certainly interesting to watch that battle between Alpine and McLaren. Uh, there, there could be sh- some movement there. And if you go over to the driver's side, obviously Max Verstappen crowned world champion or confirmed world champion a couple of weeks ago, 391 points compared to three, sorry, 267 for Charles Leclerc, who is only two points ahead of Sergio Perez. So you know that Checo is going to be jacked going into his home Grand Prix, only two points, well, three points uh, away from leapfrogging his Ferrari rival, George Russell, fourth with 218, and then Carlos Sainz, fifth with 202 points. So, I mean, we could see some changing around there in the driver's head championship with three races to go. So certainly a couple of things to check out there. All right. Well, let's get into, I guess, what well, I, 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 I'm not guessing, but I know is the biggest story of the week. But it's funny, Mark. I kind of think that this is news that is not really news, considering it's been, you know, the, the old saying where there's smoke, there's fire. There's been a lot of Audi smoke around that Sauber situation for the longest time. Like it's been months and months and months. And it's just like when, when the news came this week that that uh, Audi announced that, uh, that, that, that Sauber is going to be their strategic partner or whatever it is, so the exact terminology to enter the Formula One in 2026. We were kind of like, well, yeah, we, we kind of knew this a lot long time ago but it's great to get a, an official announcement and it'll be interesting to see where they where they go from here but the, the writing on the wall has been kind of there for quite a few weeks and months and most recently just a couple of weeks ago when it was announced that uh, Sauber and Alfa Romeo would not be continuing that uh, sponsorship beyond the end of 2023 so Alfa Romeo Racing will disappear from the grid and revert to Sauber or whatever it is, whatever name it takes for 2024 and 2025, and then ultimately 2026. But very cool to see a Formula One car all splashed out in Audi livery. And uh, it's exciting to see another big manufacturer coming into the sport. And I'll just throw this out here while you react. It's just like now that Audi, like now it's real, right? Now we've got something that we can kind of hold on to and something we can watch and 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 monitor the progression over the years and and months ahead or months and years ahead. So, what 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 about Porsche? That that that's the interesting one. But I'm putting the cart before the horse. Mark your reaction to the the Audi news this week. Absolutely love this story. I think this is the perfect partnership for a ton of different reasons. If if Audi had partnered with McLaren, if they had partnered with Williams, they probably and most likely and justifiably would have wanted to impose their branding on those teams. And then we could potentially have lost the heritage and the history of two really valuable British Formula One teams. I just think, I think Sauber is a perfect mm-hmm. fit. And it's, it's so funny. My buddy, Randy mentioned this to me, other, mentioned this to me the other day. Like there technically is no Sauber right now, right? Like Sauber is the team that's preparing the cars for Alfa Romeo. Cause it's really the Alfa Romeo Formula yep. One team, even though they're not really lending any technical expertise to the project, they're just paying Sauber to be the F1 team for them. But yeah, we, been calling them Sauber for years now. But I think this is the perfect partnership. And I think partly it's because Sauber themselves 
don't really have a strong identity within the sport. And in the business world, we talk a lot about creating white label products that I'm going to create a product and it's going to be white labeled and then you can sell it on as something else. I think they've been the perfect white label platform as an F1 team. But I think this is a, a great fit that Audi is going to get their works team. They're going to get their strategic partner, their technical partner. They're going to be able to start assembling Formula One cars uh, very, very quickly. And I think given the fact that we have three years of runway here, the 2023, 2024, and 2025 seasons, uh, they should be ultra competitive from the jump if they if they nail that engine formula because you've got a team that you can work with over the next three years to help develop the chassis that's going to accommodate the power unit and what makes this so special and we talk a lot about this is mclaren is always at a disadvantage because they're buying somebody else's engine and that engine is designed to work with a mercedes chassis in this case you can design a chassis and you can design the engine in tandem, like it should be a perfect marriage of the two. And again, it's not all, it doesn't always work that way, but I just think this is a perfect, perfect partnership that we're not going to lose a heritage team on the grid. Sauber has effectively functioned as that white label product or white label banner for other teams in the past. I think this is, <laughs> yep. this is super, super exciting. And I don't have anything negative to say about it, but what I will say is I've been paying an awful lot of attention to the race.com recently. And we talked a little mm -hmm. bit about this on spaces tonight. And I don't know why or where the race is getting information from that would make them confident about this, but they believe that there's a possibility that Porsche is still going to enter formula one, which I think we all know is still likely out there, but that their partnership is going to differ than what we had expected it to be with Red Bull, which was with Red Bull. It was going to be a 50% ownership stake and collaboratively, mm -hmm. they were going to de develop a power unit. Um, I still think there's a, possibility that Porsche is going to come in, but Porsche wants very much to have a significant majority stake or equal stake in a Formula One team. And then you look around the grid, is that going to be McLaren? Maybe Williams, maybe, but probably not because I think both of those teams are looking to sell equity and a stake in the team, but probably not lose majority control. But one of the things mm -hmm. that the race has been speaking to is a possible partnership between Alpha Tauri and Porsche, and that Porsche mm. would no longer develop its own power unit, but would buy and rebrand power units from Audi. So the Volkswagen Group clearly no longer has the appetite to have two separate Formula One engine projects, but we could see Porsche enter under the Alpha Tauri banner. Obviously, the Alpha Tauri team would rebrand it, but that would also solve and undo one of the biggest errors and one of the biggest grievous mistakes in Formula One modern history, which is allowing one owner to own two teams on the grid and just all the negative and horrendous things that does for the competitive integrity of the sport. But Porsche could enter. And I think Porsche and Alpha Tauri would be fantastic because I think Alpha Tauri, Toro Rosso, I think they lack a lot of identity as well. And they could be a perfect works sure. team for Porsche as well. So I think this is all really, really exciting and good news stuff. Yeah, you know, really, it's interesting, too, when you bring up that um, you know possibility that uh, it might be Alpha Tauri, because now that, uh, sadly, uh, Dieter Mateschitz uh, passed away last week, who's to say that without his presence within the Red Bull organization, you know, is, is that desire there still to have Red Bull and Alpha Tauri? Or does it, you know, does, does the board Great or whoever make, make some decision that, you know, because we, we've talked about it before, like, is that that development funnel really working for them? And I'd say not really, because when you look over the years, some of the struggles that they've had, I mean, look at the way that they had to recycle Danny Kvyat. And I, I'm not going to throw shade at Danny Kvyat. You just did. I mean, he went from... I know, but I'm, I'm, I just I'm using him as an example. Cheating. I know, yeah. I know. But 
So we should. I mean, I, I deserve it. Anyways, <laughs> but you know, several years ago, you have uh, Danny Kvyat. He's at uh, Toro Rosso. He gets promoted to Red Bull. He has like a, a series of bumper car incidents. And then he has one at the Russian Grand Prix uh, in 2016 when he, you know, basically punts Sebastian Vettel into the wall. And then he gets demoted back to Alpha Tower, or sorry, Alpha Terry, uh, Toro Rosso. Max gets promoted to uh, Red Bull. He wins his very first race at Spain that year. And the rest is history you know two championships uh, and counting anyways danny goes off to ferrari to be a simulator driver or reserve i think he's just a sim driver i don't even think he was a reserve driver anyways and then he comes back into formula one a couple of years after that or a year after that because again they're they're struggling to find drivers that have enough super license points to put in in their cars and you've got like this rotating roster of drivers going from between these two teams like Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon and etc and and nobody's really sticking so <laughs> it was just kind of a bizarre scenario and then it, it just to be you know like if you're not and I guess there's multiple things going on here and we've talked about it uh, you know most recently when we were talking about you know, possibly getting Colton Herta uh, into formula 1 and into AlphaTauri just to the, the the struggles that he, and what he might have to do to get to super license points but i guess that sort of like underlines what the the, the limitations are with the Red Bull zone system and then uh, the formula 1's monopoly on the development ladder of F, F, F3 F2 F1 etc but uh, who knows? Maybe that's a, a good way for them to break it off and and separate it because I mean that's something that you and I have been fairly you know I think it's a team that could like I mean if Pierre Gasly and guys like that I think are better served at at some point in their career getting away from that Red Bull system maybe Alpha Tauri needs to get away from the Red Bull system to flourish as a team you know I know that's I totally kind of like agree. a long and rambly answer but no no I think that's great and you know what I'm I'll getting just- at right. I'll just interject with a couple of things real quick because just looking at the live chat from the podcast right now, Marshall makes a couple of good points. He's like, Mark, you're contradicting yourself. You're saying that Red Bull shouldn't be able to own two teams, but that Audi, the Volkswagen group can have Audi and Porsche on the grid. How does that work? Yeah, I get that. I just, I feel like if Porsche and Audi are going to enter, I think they will operate in significant autonomy from one one another and they will be able to be striving to win. That Alpha Tauri is never intended to win Formula One Grand Prix. Its role specifically to develop drivers and to to help promote the Red Bull Driver Academy at the highest level. So I think there's a separation there. But more intriguingly, Marshall just mm-hmm. added to the chat uh, that there has been some development in the ongoing Alpine, Haas, Fernando, Alonso, yeah. Saga. And minutes ago, Chris Medlin has tweeted, confirmed Alpine wins the review. Haas protest is declared null and void. So Alonso Mm -hmm. will be reinstated in P7 in the U.S. Grand Prix, which will actually have ramifications for both the current Drivers' Championship and it will have Mm -hmm. ramifications for the fantasy standings that I just read out a couple of minutes ago, especially if folks had Fernando Alonso on their team. So yeah, breaking news as we talk. And there we go. We we haven't even finished recording this this podcast episode and it's already irrelevant. So yeah. I quit. You know, let's just go. Oh, I was going to say let's go home. I already am home, so I'm just I'm just going to go to sleep. So forget it. I'm not doing the rest of the show now. Sounds <laughs> <just> good. <laughs> Marshall, thanks for that and keeping us up to speed. But, you know, um, that you know, Fernando, all joking aside, seemed pretty I wouldn't say 
confident, but it seemed like, or sure of himself, but I think he had a pretty good feeling that this wasn't ultimately going to go anywhere. And I know that uh, Gunther Steiner's whole thing was that he just wanted uh, clarity from the FIA and from the stewards because he felt that some situations just weren't, you know, like there, there was just a lack of, uh, you know, consistent, consistency, pardon me, in the way that they were applying rules and, and, and things like that. So I guess that's uh, fair enough. But it seemed like a little bit of a, of, of a stretch. I mean, you know, you see cars, their cars getting like the black and orange flag if they have like the end plate of a front wing hanging off or a piece of uh, bodywork and stuff like that. But that uh, that right mirror was uh, certainly very interesting because it was kind of flopping around then all of a sudden it disappeared on the off the, uh, the the side of the car but i understand like gunther's point of view like it is it is a safety thing and all cars are required to have two mirrors but i'm pretty sure we've seen this in the past where somebody's lost a mirror or something like that and uh, they they haven't been excluded from from the classification so very very interesting so connie in the live chat is saying that we should start over so apparently 33 minutes of content isn't uh is enough for connie she wants us to keep going so we'll be going for the full two hours tonight rather than the uh, the, the usual 90 minutes so good evening to connie and everybody else that's joined in uh, this evening it seems like it's uh, pretty lively on the uh on the, on the chat tonight so okay so we've talked about that where do we want to go are we are we done with audi should we go oh let's talk about this one so th- this is the stuff that uh, you're all over this the business side of uh, sports especially formula on 1.3 million tv viewers uh compared to 2.3 for the nascar race last weekend 440,000 in attendance on sunday and they expect to crack half a mil in 2023 at coda in austin texas those are some pretty big numbers obviously a ways to go to catch up to uh, to nascar but uh your take on this hammy Yeah, not really a lot to add. Just it's shocking what a different world that we live in versus seven years ago where we expected that this race was going to pack up and move on and that we were going to be absent a a U.S. Grand Prix once again. And here we are seeing 440,000 people stream into the Circuit of the Americas over the three-day race weekend. And race organizers are very confident that with proper accommodations and some logistical work and some new grandstands that they could see 500,000 people stream into that facility next year, which is just absolutely mind-boggling. And as uh, that lovely listener mentioned a couple of minutes ago, this is all being made possible by greatly improved logistics. But you want to add something? Please interject. Yeah, I was going to say, and all those, you know, hundreds of thousands of people clearly into it, clearly having fun clearly know what the hell's going on on the track i mean the way that they were reacting like all the time i mean this is becoming like 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 a big thing now this just isn't like people showing up and just for for the novelty and not having any idea i mean the sport is growing in leaps and bounds across uh, north america and the thing is that uh, that that impresses me is how quickly that new fans are coming in, how quickly they are catching onto the sport and learning about the nuances and, and, and the way that formula one works. I mean, some of the things that, that happen over the long term, like, you know, the, the way that drivers move around or teams change name, the change in tech and just like different championships, you catch up to that in the, in, in the long run. But I'm just impressed to just the, the, you know, the, the amount of knowledge that, that people are, are, are getting like so quickly. It's, it, it's really, really cool. 
Um, and then I just wanted to, to mention something here, just backing up again to the, the last story about to Fernando there. And Connie in the live chat said, clarity from the FIA. Did Mark say that without choking? And, uh, you know, that that is kind of a, you know, a, an interesting comment and somewhat ironic because I did read an article from Fernando talking about that uh, clarity in the FIA or the, the word that he used wasn't clarity, but he feels that uh, this year under the presidency of uh, Mohammed bin Suleim, that, uh, that, that there's a lot more transparency and they feel like they're, they're looped in on a lot more issues than they have been in the past. So, you know, I, I Connie, I, I completely understand where you're coming from and I'm struggling to keep a straight face, but uh, that again, it is interesting to kind of, you know, compare that to Fernando's uh, own, own comments. Okay, so moving along, uh, this one's uh, this one's kind of timely. Obviously, we got uh, the the Mexican Grand Prix coming up this weekend. I think we're only about thirteen hours away from the time of recording here on Thursday night, away from uh, FP one. So it's confirmed Mexico City will stay on the calendar at least three more years until 2025. And, uh, you know, the, the promoters were flexing on the amount of money that uh, this Grand Prix has pumped into the local economy, the tens of thousands of jobs, I'm sorry, tens of thousands of jobs that it's a, you know, helped build over the last several years since they've been back on the calendar. And uh, this one's, uh, you know, I think it's exciting to see uh, tracks re-up and, uh, and recommit to, to Formula One. I mean, even that three years is a, a pretty hefty uh, commitment. And this is interesting, too, because, you know, Mark, you and I, we've talked about this maybe not this year, but I feel like it was either last year, or maybe the end of 2020 that I don't know if the, it would be right to say that the that the Mexican Grand Prix was on life support, but there were certainly lots of question marks around it because, you know, it was being heavily subsidized by, you know, you know, different levels of government. And, you know, I, I guess this is probably sort of, I don't, I don't remember really where it kind of fits into the larger sort of pandemic picture, but, you know, with the, the, the way that, uh, you know, funds across, you know, civilization in general have contracted, well, you know, the question was, you know, are, you know, are, these different levels of government really going to want to continue to subsidize this Grand Prix. But uh, what do you, what do you think? You like this? Uh, you like this one? I think you it's like a this news. Great deal. I love the event. I, I love the atmosphere. I have, I have different feelings about the track itself, but there are far worse tracks on the formula one calendar. Uh, obviously there's some things that make this a very unique and challenging racetrack, but I'll save that when we get to our Mexican Grand Prix preview in a little bit, but I'm happy to see it on, on the calendar. And I think it's really important that Races are distributed geographically and globally. I think it adds a great deal mm -hmm. to the intrigue and the heritage of, of the sport. And obviously, Mexican fans have embraced the event. And obviously, that stadium section yep. itself is now a fan favorite it's, on, it's unique. on the track. And, cool. and the podium celebrations are exceptional. I'm, I'm really happy. And I'm happy for, for Mexican fans who went a long time without a Formula One Grand Prix and have demonstrated for many years that they're huge motorsports fans. And it also provides yep. a different out. And the other funny thing too, man, is... You know, if you flash back to, say, 2011, we had one yep. Formula One race in North America. We had Montreal. I know, And right? now we have Montreal, yep. we have Miami, we have Vegas, we have Austin, and and we have Mexico City. Like, we have five races in, in North America, which is incredible. And all of them are, and I know we haven't raced in Vegas yet, but by every yep. expectation, yep. Um, all of these races are flourishing, absolutely flourishing. So, great for Formula One. 
It's fantastic, and you know, I love the fact that we're, we're we're also covering North to South America. If you want to throw uh, Brazil in there as well, I mean, I love uh, Interlagos. I know that it's a bit of an old school track. It's kind of it's not as flashy and as shiny as some of the newer ones, but the track itself, I think, is cool. You know, it, it it's it's not as big as wide, but it's uh, it's got a lot of great corners. It's got a variation and undulating uh, terrain. I think it's uh, it's really really cool as well. But yeah, I mean, who would have thought even a couple of years ago that we'd have almost half a dozen races in our own backyard and i think that's a uh, fantastic and certainly like everyone else i am super jacked up you know to to see that inaugural vegas grand prix go in just about a year from now because you know it's going to be a spectacle and i i think it's going to be awesome i mean you know I, i'm jealous if anybody gets to go and watch that one in real life and gets to experience the you know, formula one race on the streets in vegas and be in vegas while it's happening but I think that even the spectacle from from home, I think uh, we're, we're all going to enjoy that uh, as well. Okay, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Williams and their newly confirmed driver, maybe Logan Sargent. And we'll do that in just a moment. So don't go away. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, welcome back. We're well into this one now, almost 45 minutes of classic podcasting gold. Uh, you know, asterisks. Well, let's leave that up to you guys. <laughs> you know, I'm in a bit of a funny mood tonight, so there you go. Anyways, Williams, uh, do they have a contingency plan in case Logan Sargent uh, fails to secure the necessary uh, super license points to get into the car for, for, for next year. So they did have a press conference at the, the U.S. Grand Prix last year saying that Sargent would race for Williams in 2023, providing he can actually obtain his super license. So that means the 21-year-old driver needs to remain in the top six of the F2 championship. He is uh, third in the standings at the moment. They've got uh, two races left, and he has a 12-point cushion. So I wouldn't say it's kind of like, uh, you know, nail biting time for for Logan uh but certainly the uh, this youngster from Florida you know he, he can't sit back and kind of relax and kind of uh, I wouldn't say phone it in but certainly uh he's going to have to be on his game because that's not really a huge uh, buffer um but they they say they do have a contingency plan but they're not revealing what or who it is so uh, you know the 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 obvious comment there is that uh, that Logan is their guy and he's going to be in that car and they're expecting it uh, completely to 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 happen but the i wonder the contingency plan you know, is Nico Hulkenberg person. he's everybody's it's contingency a, plan he's everywhere he needs to be he's yeah, he's just readily available. But dude, that said, one I just realized we <laughs> off the top we may have missed the story about Red Bull, Aston Martin, and agreeing to an F one cost yep. cap breach deal. So we should probably circle back to that. No pun intended. But dude, we're talking about this driver, Logan Sargent, entering F one as an American driver because he is an American driver. And he was born in the United States. I can't believe we're not. I can't believe we're not more excited about this. That most weeks this would have been the breaking story, but now it's almost secondary news that yeah, there's going to be a. American Formula One team or driver next year for a heritage Formula One team. Like 
this is super exciting. Like you said, though, there's no yeah. guarantee he's going to score those super license points and a lot can happen over the course of two races. It'll be a stretch if he doesn't. But my sense is that obviously there's a back burner deal and it might have been Giovinazzi, although his recent performance and testing was horrendous. Um, but it would probably be Nico Hulkenberg. He's a safe bet and you can put him in a car. I know he's going to bring it home every single race weekend. Uh, but I think we are all very excited to see an American driver at F1. And we just talked about the fact that we could see 500,000 people at Coda next year over the three-day race weekend. We have three races and now we're going to have an American driver. Now, admittedly, it's coming at the expense of a Canadian driver and it breaks my heart. And maybe maybe now Nikki will be able to find some time to join us on the podcast and reflect back on his three-year career in Formula One. But that said, I'm also really excited to see what an American driver can do mm-hmm. um, for the popularity of the sport. The challenge, of course, is that he's going to be driving for arguably the worst team in Formula One. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how people balance, one, their excitement of having an American driver with the fact that he's going to be driving what should probably be a really poor car. But all that said, American mm-hmm. driver, Formula One, 2023. We should be excited. Oh, yeah, totally. And, <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't help uh, but kind of uh, chuckle there a little bit uh, when, when you're saying, those, uh, the, you know, talking about some of those things that, you know, American driver driving the worst car on the grid. But I was just thinking to myself, hey, it, it turned out, worked out okay for George Russell. He put in his time, served his apprenticeship. Great point, man. Great point. Of course, he already had those existing ties with Mercedes, and he kind of used that and kind of flexed on that a little bit to get that drive with Williams. But he was one of those guys, he just needed to get into an F1 car. He needed to, to, to do that time. He needed to, you know, he needed to learn this, the, the, this form of motorsport, learn this craft. And uh, I mean, he's doing a pretty darn good job. So, I mean, yeah, you, you might kind of like roll your eyes a little bit. Oh man, you can't, you know, Logan's going to like the crappiest team on the grid, but it's not necessarily a, a, a bad thing. I mean, and, and who's to say? I mean, they're going to get the most time in the wind tunnel. They're going to get the most time for, for CFD and things like that. So so who knows? Maybe they won't be the worst team. I mean, they're not going to be the best team next year, but, you know, it, it, it's a start. And that's what he needs. He's only 21. He, he can use that time to his advantage and, and hopefully do something good with it. I mean, and, and let's be fair. I mean, Alex Albon has shown that, uh, you know, if you're a good driver, even in not the greatest car, I mean, Alex has had some decent rides or runs out there over the course of the season. I mean, I know they've only got like about like eight points or something like that in the constructors, but he's he's done some reasonable things in a car that he probably shouldn't be doing it in. So Marshall makes a really great point in the live chat, by the way, speaking to the fact that, hey, Logan's good, but he doesn't scream that he's ready for F1 yet. And maybe he needs to season in Formula 2 for another year. But my sense is that expectations on the Williams team and on the Williams drivers will be pretty low next year. And you have to then have that debate. If If you're talking strictly Logan Sargent's personal development, uh, what could be better for for his development? Another year in Formula Two, where he would probably win a championship, yep. based on how the grid's shaping up for next year, um, or his is his personal development and professional development better served by stepping into Formula One and racing in twenty three or twenty four Grand Prix in a Formula One car yep. on Formula One circuits and dealing with Formula One uh, Formula One responsibilities. So I I think you could make the argument both ways, but I think if you're a Formula One driver, and Tim said this to me years ago, um, and so did Nikki, in fact, like if you're given an opportunity to race in Formula One, you do not turn that down because you may never get another one. You may never get another opportunity. So smart move for him. Great. 
Great point. I was just thinking uh, something very similar that, you know, that that this opportunity might not be here one calendar year from now. So you just got to like take it uh, rather than marinating and seasoning and for, don't for another think year. Daniel F- Ricardo F2, isn't so. going to bed thinking about that every night as well. That hey, we're all assuming oh. he's going to be back in twenty twenty four, but there's no guarantee he'll ever be back in Formula One as a driver. Oh, exactly. I mean, when he climbs out of the McLaren Yas in you know, couple, you know several weeks from now, that could be the very last time we see Danny Ricardo climb out or get in and out of a, a Formula One car in a competitive, absolutely, you know, a, a manner, which is a bit, a bit, a bit sobering. And also, just to to kind of like wrap that in, you've know, seen some of Sebastian Vettel's comments uh, this week that you know his pending retirement is getting a little bit more real now. So I guess the feels are becoming a little bit more intense. You know, it's this. I guess uh, he's, he's kind of realized, yeah, this, this, this run, this, you know, this sport, this lifestyle that's basically been the focus of my existence, all of my, my adult life and, you know, basically all of my youth and different formulas and, and all that is, uh, it, it's coming to an end. And in a couple of weeks from now, I'll be a, a, an ex Formula One driver. So I can understand why that might be getting a little bit intense uh, with him, but yeah, I mean, uh, we should talk about Red Bull and Aston Martin and like the cost cap breach. I'm kind of glad that it's not like we, well, yeah, we did kind of purposely shove it to the <laughs> somewhere midway down the order here because we've been talking about this quite a bit. And, uh, and I think there's been other things uh, to talk about. So tomorrow on Friday, uh, they're going to, the, the FIA is going to make an announcement. So both uh, Aston Martin and, uh, and Red Bull have agreed to uh, sign and go under an ABA, uh, Aston Martin for the procedural breach and Red Bull for the procedural breach, plus a minor overspend, which I believe is just under $2 million. So it's going to be interesting what uh, comes out in the terms of penalties and punishment and uh, the, the fact uh, that it could be a sporting punishment, I think is what they're, they're talking about, which is probably going to be a fine. And then also probably like a reduction in wind tunnel and CFD time. So the thing is there, there's already like a, a reverse kind of scale. So if you win the championship, you know, the, the, the team that comes first gets like the least amount of time for like wind tunnel and CFD compared to the, the team that finishes 10th. And then it kind of, a, there, there's a sliding scale for a two through nine in between. So Williams is going to finish last in the championship this year. So they'll get have like the, the most resources and time allotted to them. Red Bull will have the least, but possibly they could have that amount of time uh, reduced even further for their naughtiness and uh, all the the shenanigans going around the, uh, the 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 cost cap, but at least you know, and kind of, uh, I say this again, come up, uh, you know, kind of uh, somewhat uh, smirkingly, uh, because we were just uh, joking about that with Connie's comment about the the FI and and clarity, but they are going to detail what uh, you know where these overspends and breaches occurred. So, you know, we just have to wait here maybe another 10 or 12 hours. And for those of us here on, uh, you know, on the North American soil, we should probably wake up and find out tomorrow morning on Friday what what's going on and uh, and what the the, the result is. But Hammy, what what are you feeling about this one? What's your your gut feeling it's going to go or how it's going to go? Yeah, I I feel like I've I've said my piece on this and and Obviously, I'm, I'm really disappointed in the outcome, but I mean, we talked about this on the Spaces chat, that the outcome is perfectly predictable, that you can you could have modeled this scenario. You could have six months ago said, hey, what if Team X 
exceeds cap by Y, and then you could model it through the financial regulations. And this is where we were always going to come. And you know what? Some teams and some team principals can scream and scream and be sanctimonious and say there should be massive penalties and disqualifications, but that's never how the financial regulations were written. And the teams were involved in that collaborative process. And, you know, one of the listeners, Marshall, in fact, in the Spaces chat made a great point today that ultimately it was probably resistance from Toto Wolf and Matteo Bonato and some of the big, big teams that landed us here because those were the teams that were always most at threat of exceeding the cost cap. And when you talk about Zach Brown writing a letter and laying mm-hmm. out how this should look or how it should be rewritten, it's probably because he was one of the one of the vocal um folks that were in opposition to the current financial regulations. But yeah, ultimately the financial regulations has 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 as has now been demonstrated are toothless and and they will remain toothless until such time that they're rewritten, but they will never be rewritten in a meaningful way until you have Red Bull, Ferrari and Mercedes, the teams most at risk of exceeding the cost cap until they're all in line with imposing heavy, significant uh, competitive penalties on these teams. And you know what? We'll probably see a sporting penalty and a financial penalty, but there will be absolutely no risk that Red Bull will lose their 2021 World Drivers' Championship trophy. Yeah, yeah, it's unlikely at uh, at most. You know, like I, I'm, I'm curious to see how this thing is going to unfold tomorrow morning. But at the same time, like I'm not expecting some massive penalty and basically like blowing the whole thing up. Uh, I expect it, uh, you know, something to be the the form of a fine, and then, like I say, I think it's probably going to be a reduction in uh, CFD and wind tunnel and th- those sorts of things. Which, you know, if you really look into it, I mean, that could really affect uh, what they can, you know, do with the car for for next year and beyond. So. You know, it, it might be one of these things. It, it might seem like a little bit of a slap on the wrist, but maybe it, the the what are the uh, what's what's the word I'm uh, looking for? The implications and the results of uh, that penalty might be a little bit bigger than uh, than we realize. Okay, uh, moving along here, I, I I think we've discussed this one to death over the last uh, couple of uh, weeks. Anyways, according to Joe Sayward, uh, that. Uh, He's feeling that if uh, the, the the Chinese Grand Prix doesn't go ahead in 2023, that it might not uh, come back onto the calendar at all. I mean, obviously, we haven't uh, been racing in China at the Shanghai International Circuit for a couple of years. I mean, like everywhere else, it got uh, chopped uh, because of COVID. And, you know, they are on the calendar for, for, for next year, but there, there's no guarantee that this race will, will go off and happen as, um, you know, as we're expecting. And I kind of, you know, to be quite honest, I kind of have mixed feelings about uh, this one. Uh, you know, should uh, Shanghai disappear from the, uh, the 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 Formula One calendar? What do you think? Yeah, Mark? Joe, who should probably be canceled as far as F one media personalities go. And I I felt actually bad um, putting a, 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 kind of referencing a, a Joe Sayward story um, this week, especially this week because he's a it's a problematic personality who said some really inappropriate things, especially this week. But I thought this was an interesting topic, yeah. and the point being here that uh, obviously recent political developments at the highest level of government in China seem to suggest that their extremely strict zero COVID policy will remain in effect next year, which means that getting the entire F1 circus into that country and through quarantine to hold a Grand Prix is very, very unlikely. And I think it just 
puts this event at risk in the years to come, which is really unfortunate because I would really love to have seen that young Chinese driver that's doing so well for AlphaTauri, and I don't need to say his name, but I would really love to have seen how the crowd would have reacted to have had a Chinese driver on the grid. Um, and then the other thing too is next year, we're going to have a 24 race calendar. If China drops, uh, what's being reported or speculated is that they probably won't backfill it. So it's very possible that this really deep 24 race calendar that we're going to see next year or that we're expecting to see might actually turn into a 23 race calendar. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, how are we doing for time? Okay, let's talk about the, these uh, the, this one next, and then we'll head into a break. So Lewis Hamilton uh, on uh, Brad Pitt's upcoming uh, Formula One film that is uh, currently in development says, quote, we're going to make the best racing movie. So Lewis is uh, confident that the, the team that uh, they put together for this uh, new Formula One film will uh, make the, the best racing movie that's ever existed. So that is a, uh, you know, that that's a pretty big statement. But, you know, if you got like somebody like Lewis Hamilton involved on that, uh, then, uh, you know, why not? He uh, he was uh, interviewed by motorsport.com. He had the following to say, quote, I'm incredibly excited about it. I mean, what we've been able to put uh, so far together team-wise is pretty incredible. I've got Tim Cook here this weekend, which is such an honor to have him uh, with us. Him and his team have been so supportive, supporting my documentary and also greenlighting this movie. And then you have Brad Pitt, a legend, and you've got Jerry, who's really an incredible legend. He did Top Gun, the original, and Joe is such a huge talent as a director. I have such high hopes for it. I know we're going to make the best racing movie that's ever existed, both visually, and we're going to work on making sure we pull on the heartstrings of all those fans, end quote. So I mean, I, you know, if you read the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the the story on motorsport uh, com, uh, you know Lewis is talking about uh, Brad Pitt, producer uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, and director Joseph uh, Kosinski, and uh, screenwriter screenwriter, pardon me, Aaron Kruger, and the last three were part of the team behind uh, Top Gun Maverick. I don't know uh, how many of you guys out there watched it, but I don't know too many people that didn't go watch Top Gun Maverick. Uh, I, I I went and watched it, uh, of course, like everyone else back at the beginning of the summer and I loved it if they can do for F1 what they did with that reboot of uh, Top Gun which I mean the original although it's kind of dated now you know from made in the, the the mid to late 80s aged pretty well I would think but uh, the, the, certainly the reboots did it justice and it's exciting I mean if, if they could do the same thing for Formula One then sign me up I can't wait to can't wait to watch this one Hammy, you got the popcorn ready? Or? Oh boy, do I. I. This is, and I don't venture out <laughs> to the theater for that cinema in-person experience very often, but I think this is one Same. that I would find a way to go and, and see. I think this needs to be experienced on the big screen with that big sound. And I know you've recently got a nice surround sound sound bar, but I don't think anything beats yeah, the yeah. audible experience of being in the cinema. True. Maybe we do it together. Maybe we do a listener viewing, but I don't care what anyone says. I'm a big Jerry Bruckheimer fan and he creates spectacles. Yep. Um, and that's what this is going to be and i think i expect that this is going to be in a lot of ways a remake of driven uh the oh my god sylvester stallone epic from yeah that's right 2000 2001 somewhere in there and i i think it's about that it was about 20 years ago yeah Yeah, so we'll we'll see because i think it's very much the same premise which is brad pitt's going to play an aging retired formula one driver that's going to come back to formula one and geez how old is he now 58 i don't know it's good it should be fun 
Is he that old? I, I've kind of lost track. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, he, he looks like he's a little bit older, but, you know, I, I can't remember. But it seems like he's been around Let me punch it around, into the old uh, learning forever. machine. Brad Pitt. In the old learning machine. Brad Pitt. But I was just going to say, though, too, that uh, if this one comes on the big screen, considering you were the nice guy that hooked me up with this fantastic, beautiful Sono soundbar, the least I can do is buy you, I, I mean, I paid you back, obviously, for the soundbar, but uh, you know, the least I could do is, is is treat you to the movie experience. As long as we go on Tuesday night when it's it's half price, and then, you know, if, if you're nice to me, maybe hey, I'll we can go any popcorn, night of the week you know? if you take me to VIP. I want the <laughs> recliner. I want the in-theater food service. Oh, by the way, Brad Pitt is... 58 he turns 59 on december wow. 18th so he'll be 60 wow. 60 by the time this oh my debut is theatrically which is crazy that is crazy holy smokes i had no idea i, I was thinking that uh I, I had no idea that he was that old and i mean considering we're both in our 40s isn't much older than us well, don't but... go putting my business <laughs> in the street people think i still look 28 <laughs> Uh, okay, moving along. <laughs> I've never heard you snort laugh before, by the way. Uh, I know. See, th- these are the things that you do to me. Uh, and I'm probably also congested, and then maybe I'm coming down with a cold or who knows. But uh, yeah, that's that's a bit of a, an embarrassing personal moment. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about Lewis Hamilton, apparently talking new contract with Mercedes. So Team LH will probably be justifiably excited about that, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. So we'll be back on the flip side. And we'll talk to you then. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, welcome back. And yes, I'm still struggling to get over the fact that Brad Pitt is 58 years old. And I guess the more I look at the picture that uh, and the, the article that I'm looking at here, I guess, you know, that seems about right. But still a little bit of a, a sobering moment. So apparently Lewis Hamilton is targeting another multi-year deal in uh attempt to renew his contract with a Mercedes. So I know that recently, I mean, Lewis has said that uh, he still wants to keep going. Toto said that uh, he's got at least another five years in him. And I think that's uh, exciting. I mean, he obviously wants to get that, uh, that eighth chip at least. I mean, uh, we, we've noticed and that, that Lewis himself as a driver is in no way, shape or form showing any signs of, of slowing down. He's still one of, if not the best driver in, in Formula One. Obviously, the, the, the big question is the car, right? The W13 this year hasn't lived up to, to expectations. Lewis has struggled a little bit and his teammate is ahead of him in the constructors, sorry, in the constructors championship and the drivers championship. And Lewis, although he's pulled his season together to a certain extent, hasn't really been able to, to, to pull back or really close that gap with the uh, George Russell, George fourth in the championship, Lewis sixth. And I mean, we're just, you know, that's, that's like subterranean, you know, like, uh, positioning for Lewis. I mean, we're used to watching him either leading and winning world championships or in the hunt for them. I mean, that's just the way that it's been for close on to a, a decade now. And I know what I'm thinking about what 
might convince Lewis to stay or to ultimately leave Formula One. But I feel like I'm going to throw this one at you first, Mark, and see where you're going to go with this Thank and you. see how close to, you know, how we're thinking on this there, one, a, whether or not we're aligned on There's a couple of different ways you can spin this, which is one, if he's looking yep. at re-upping on a multi-year deal, it probably speaks to the fact that he's supremely confident that Mercedes is developing a car that could compete for a Formula One world championship. That That's a given, Right. The other piece, too, is he is paid deservedly like a king. In his nine seasons at Mercedes, it's reported that he's been paid just shy of $400 million US. And that that seems that seems appropriate given the fact that he's won six driver's titles for them during that time. But if he does re-up, we have every reason to expect that that deal is going to be worth 40 to $60 million per year. So when you factor in the fact that, yeah, the car is getting better and he has the opportunity to compete for an eighth world championship and he's getting paid between 40 and $60 million per year, kind of feels like a no-brainer if you're Lewis Hamilton to come back. So I'm curious as, as to whether you have a different angle to this conversation. Well, the, the way that, um, that that I'm kind of thinking that this might go is I, I see Lewis maybe signing like 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 a two to three year deal that maybe and and I'm going to use here guaranteed two years. I know there's no such thing as guaranteed two year deal like kind of contracts in in Formula One, but I I see it something like Lewis signing like a three year deal where where two years are guaranteed and like the third is like an option or something like that. But, you know, that if he does say he signs like this two years plus an option, I see that that really puts like a lot of pressure on Mercedes now to turn this program around. Because let's be honest, this is Mercedes. They're third in the constructors. They haven't won a race this year. Uh, I mean, George has been a bright spot. Lewis has been disappointing at times and at times he's been pretty impressive. But the thing is, you know, they haven't had the car to, to, to really challenge, right? So this is not really the Mercedes that uh, we're, we're, we're used to. This is not the Mercedes that they, they came into the sport a dozen years ago on, you know, after taking over that Braun GP program and rebranding it into the, the, the Mercedes juggernaut that we've seen ever since. And, of course, you know, the Braun story in and of itself is an incredible story, but it was a one-off. And then when Mercedes took over, it, it took several years to get it to where it is, and they just... You know, it was a home run right off the bat in 2014, and they were just so far ahead of everyone else. I mean, it's it, it's unprecedented and, and, and amazing what uh, what they did. But I kind of wonder, like, how long will Lewis want to stick around if they can't get the car back to being the best one out there, right? Uh, because at some point, like, 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 I feel this is like the one season he'd be kind of like willing to write off because the longer, the more seasons they have like this it's going to be kind of like damaging to and damaging is maybe a little bit of a of a of a, a harsh term or harsh word but maybe it takes a little bit of the, the gloss off of his his legacy off of his career right i mean th- this amazing run that he had from 2014 to uh, the end well i, I mean let, let's not go to what happened to the end of last year but all those championships over the last uh, decade and then you know no, no championships two years in a row now and then this year the car not being up to scratch so how long is he going to want to be like that if they can't deliver a uh, competitive car and then what if they do and we end up with a sebastian vettel slash danny ricardo or sebastian vettel slash charles leclerc situation between george russell and uh, and Lewis Hamilton. I mean, th- there's no dispute that George Russell is a um, 
a rising star. He's a proven commodity. He is a hot, young, talented driver that can obviously win Grand Prix given the, uh, the, 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 the right car. So, you know, kind of, you know, put two and two together and put all those things together that given the right car that potentially George Russell could win a championship. So, you know, there, there's a lot of things to unpack would, in, the, in those thoughts. I there, would Hattie. add one thing to that, that let's assume sure. that Mercedes has bottomed out. Like we, we have to assume that they're going to be better next year because obviously oh, and some of the things 100%. they've said were that they just missed the design this year. All of that said, Lewis has still scored seven podiums this year, including a run of five in a row at one point, And he's finished second three times. And of course those weren't necessarily close second place finishes in terms of competing for a race win, but he's still been very, very competitive this year. And there's no reason to think that with a mm-hmm. slightly better car, he couldn't have been contending or winning races this year. Uh, the other thing that I would add too, and Lewis is probably wired differently than Alonzo in many ways, but Alonzo just signed a two-year agreement Every with way. Aston Martin <laughs> that is going to take him through 2024. He last won a World Drivers Championship 16 years ago. 16 years <laughs> since his last title, and he just signed a multi-year deal with Aston Martin. So I, I think I yeah. think you can still be a highly regarded driver and be racing and not have won a title in 16 years. So yeah, I, I get it. Lewis hasn't won a title in two years. I don't think that diminishes anything that he's done as a driver. He still won a race in 13 consecutive no, no. seasons and won seven titles total. Yeah, it's just um, I, I don't know. Like uh, the, the the thing is with Lewis, I mean, he's got so many things going on outside of Formula One, and I'm not to say that uh, going to say that he's distracted. I think that um, he's completely focused on what he's doing. I think he loves driving a Formula One car. I think he loves being uh, a Formula One driver, and he loves what he's doing. I mean, it, it's obvious. I mean, he's focused, and he's still he's still incredible. And I, I just think that uh, I know that uh, that he deserves to walk away from this sport when uh, on his own terms, whenever he's ready and you know, whatever he goes and does after that, I mean, he's going to be a rock star at that as well. I mean, he's just one of those people that is going to succeed no matter, no no matter what he does. And I just kind of hope that whatever happens that we enjoy watching Lewis Hamilton in formula one for many more years to come. And I hope that as long as he's here, he's got the car, that matches up to his capabilities and uh, not one that, uh, that, that isn't quite up to scratch like we've seen this year, because I mean, I don't think there's any question that, 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 uh, he can still, I, I mean, when it comes to hammer time, that, uh, that, that is exciting to watch. I mean, I think we were all salivating a little bit last weekend when we saw Lewis Hamilton in front of Max Verstappen on the track, it was kind of like the showdown that we'd all been really craving for this year, but we haven't really had the, the, the opportunity to see it manifest on the track too often, just due to the fact that Max has been out of the front of the pack all year long. The Red Bull's just been so much better than the Mercedes that the rematch that everybody wanted to see after 2021 just didn't uh, materialize, which has been, uh, you know, fairly uh, disappointing. All right, let's move along now. What do we have here next? Okay, just uh, you did hint at it uh, about an hour and 15 minutes ago. We do have a uh, one Danny Ricardo story because you also said uh, a couple of stories ago that, uh, that you know, this could be Danny's last season in Formula One. And even though he's saying that, uh, that he won't be in a Formula One car next year, obviously that he's targeting a return in 2024. And, and, and Mark, you so rightly said that's not necessarily guaranteed. But, you know, potentially 
he could land at ESPN for a broadcasting role in 2023. And I think that this kind of seems like a bit of a slam dunk if uh, anyone, in, you know, regardless of any sport, I mean, you know, if he was like a basketball player, or a baseball player, or a football player or something, and uh, he was to transition off the field or off the court into the broadcast booth, he would be that personality no matter what sport he was in. So this just seems like a, a natural fit, but probably like like you're thinking of your own mar- mind, Mark. I'm just kind of wondering, is this this one year kind of deal at ESPN going to be a little bit longer than, than, than one year? Well, it's year? a slam dunk for everybody that's watching the ESPN broadcast because I think his analysis would be really great and he's personable and he'd probably be really yeah. great with his co-hosts. I just think... The farther he is from the paddock next year, the more difficult it will be for him to ever return. And I know it probably doesn't feel good for Daniel Ricciardo to assume a test driver position at any team in Formula One, but I just, I think he needs to be on the grid. He needs to be in the simulator. He needs to be getting some practice sessions in. He needs to be around Formula One because I think the farther he is, the more difficult it is, will be for him to make a return because let's be honest, this guy's also on the wrong side of 30, but I would love to see him in the booth. Yep. I would love to see him with a microphone in his hand. I would love to see him interviewing people. Uh, but I think for his professional career, he needs to be as close to the racetrack as he can possibly be. And that means suiting up, whether it's in a sim or it's a car for uh, for practice and test sessions. Yeah, 100%. Totally agree with you. Okay, let's get into uh, talking about the, the race this weekend. Obviously, the uh, Mexican Grand Prix at Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez which is a uh, you know a really cool track really like it like uh, you mentioned uh, earlier it's got that really unique cool stadium section which we don't see anywhere else anywhere in formula 1 obviously anywhere else anywhere that's kind of brought to you by the department of redundancy department anyways um the one thing i do like is when they do go through that kind of like tight twisty um stadium section they go through that uh, back uh, around onto the the start finish straight and then they just fly down there into that uh, combo of corners and turns one, two, and three. I mean, it, it's it's not the the twistiest, most technically crazy track, but it's it's got something to it that I really like. Uh, for for me, the pace and the flow of the the the, the Grand Prix is, uh, is is really good. I always enjoy watching this one. So just for a little bit of a context, it's a 4.3 kilometer or 2.67 mile long circuit. Race length is uh, just over 305 kilometers or 190 miles long, 71 laps. So last year in uh, the 2021 version, we had uh, Valtteri Bottas on pole. His pole time was 115.875. The podium was Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, and Sergio Perez. Max was uh, 16 and a half seconds ahead of uh, Lewis Hamilton and uh, Valtteri set the the fastest lap of a 117.774. If you look at the tire compounds, they're the middle of the range, C2 hard, C3 medium, C4 softs. So this one, you know, I I know Toto was saying that uh, this weekend he feels that uh, Mercedes can give uh, uh, Red Bull and Honda a little bit more of a a run for their money. I mean, the the thing is that I kind of struggle with that a, a little bit because it has been such a, uh, I wouldn't say a Red Bull party, but at least in the last couple of years. So since it came back onto the calendar in 2015, you had Nico Rosberg win in 2015 for Mercedes. Lewis won in 2016. Um, then in 27 and 2018, you had uh, Max winning both of those times. 2019, Lewis won again. So, I mean, it's kind of been 50-50. And then last year, uh, Max went again because it was canceled in 2020 because of uh, COVID. 
and I was kind of thinking a little bit more about like Toto's comments, but if you kind of like take that that high level view of him saying that uh, that that they that they could run uh, or give uh, Red Bull a run for their money, so I mean, basically, Red Bull's won three out of the last four times, and the Honda Power has just been that much better in the thinner air up at uh, altitude of Mexico City. But Toto makes a good point. He feels that in the the, the tracks that are lower in altitude. Um, you know, at sea level and anywhere in between, that their car is really quite dragging, a lot of wind resistance. So you get up higher. I can't re- exactly remember off the top of my head. I think uh, Mexico City is something like maybe 2,000, 2,500 feet in elevation. Air gets a little bit thinner, and uh, he feels that uh, that the, the dragginess, the resistance on the arrow on the, 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 the W13 is a less of a factor. So that would be, um, that would be interesting to see if that's how it turns out. And you know, I always kind of struggle when it comes to like the the free practice sessions because everybody's trying different things, and then I, I really feel that we we don't get a good look at how things are going to really compare how the cars and drivers are matching up against each other until we get to to qualifying on on Saturday. But uh, what are you thinking, Mark? Is there is there anything to Toto's comments, or is this going to be just a, another Red Bull party? It this will weekend? be. It will be. Um, and just to kind of build on what you're saying a couple of minutes ago, you know, we call Denver the Mile High City. Well, Mexico City is a mile and a half up in the sky. It sits 7,200 feet above above sea level. Oh, and, wow. Oh, I was way yeah, off. Yeah, and you know, I, I was doing a little bit of research about this track earlier, and it's a track I enjoy, not because it necessarily promotes great racing, but because I, I really like to soak up the atmosphere. But uh, Nico Rosberg describes the physical characteristics of this track as quote-unquote ultra difficult and that's because he and a lot of drivers have commented on the past about the fact that the tarmac here has ultra 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 little grip there's extremely little grip on this tarmac which makes it very difficult for drivers to know when they're at the limit in these cars so they simply don't know how hard to push the car because if you push too hard and you exceed the limit the car snaps and you're going to be in the wall or you're going to be making contact with somebody else and to add to what you were talking about a couple of minutes ago the other thing that's really unique about this track is that it's at an extremely high altitude and what that means is there's far less air pressure. Low air pressure means the aerodynamics don't function as they're intended and designed to do, which means that you have even less grip, which means that you're fighting the car sliding around everywhere. So the aggregate, the tarmac is ultra slippery. The downforce isn't as effective, which means the cars are already slipping, which means that Physically, this is an incredibly demanding track to drive at. And, you know, I've heard Nico Rosberg and a couple of other drivers in the past talk about the fact that you cannot take a breath in some of the corners because the physical exertion and the pressures are so high combined with the high altitude that this is an incredibly difficult track. So, you know, when you look at that layout of the track, you look, look at sector one, sector two, sector three turns, you know, turns one, two, and three, that's a difficult complex. And, you know, you get down to four, five, and six, like, it's an incredibly difficult track, and I think it's very difficult for us to understand that without actually piloting a vehicle around this track. So while you look at that outline of the track, it looks like it's a fairly simple track to navigate and to compete mm-hmm. on. It's anything but. And like I said, it's because the altitude, the low downforce, and the fact that the track itself is an ultra-slippery aggregate. So it's an interesting track. Um, I give the drivers a lot of credit for finishing here. And if you do see people that are missing the the, the kind of the the primary racing line if you see people coming off in corners um it's probably not a surprise the other big takeaway i 
have for this track. And we've seen this in the past is you often see cars overshoot T1 um, or cars coming together at T1. And it's because it's really, really difficult to choose the braking line or the braking point. And if you yep. make a mistake there, um, the consequences can be pretty catastrophic for the race. And it's interesting because you have that start finished line and you have the starting grid, but you have this ultra long run and the cars are absolutely in top gear at the highest RPM at the highest possible speed. Then they've got to find that breaking point, but you're also trying not to be out broke, not broke. I think that's a bad term. You're trying not to break earlier than anyone else on the grid. So as you're approaching turn one at the highest possible speed, you don't want to be the first one on the brakes. You want to be the, uh, it's, it's complex and I'm getting excited. Wait for Sunday. Wait for Sunday. It'll be a great race. If you, if you want a good example of how that can uh, turn out and if there's uh, something really on the line, go back and watch the start of the 2016 uh, Mexican Grand Prix and specifically watch uh, Nico Rosberg and Max Verstappen. Nico obviously trying to protect the car, trying to protect uh, you know his, his afternoon and Max kind of doing Max things and barging his way through. So that, that that's a good one. But you know, you make a good point because uh, you go through start finish. Well, actually, if you come around turn 17, which is the end of the lap and where the pit entrance is, and you come on to start finish that long run down to start finish all the way down into turn one, 90 degree corner to the uh, right, then uh, turns two and three, 90 degrees to the left and back 90 degrees to the uh, right. Then you go down this run between turns three and four, then four, five and six. Again, very short and snappy and then you get through this kind of a uh, windy fast sections between the turns 7 to 11 not quite the same as it is between was it turns 3 to 10 at coda which you, i really love the way that the cars really snap uh, back and forth and the the way that they kind of the, the the corners tighten up and they get slower as you get through that series of uh corners at uh, at coda before you go down into that sharp uh, left hand or go onto the straight there but this too like it like like you say, when you put into factoring like the, the like the, the grippiness and the slipperiness of the track, it is uh, you know th- there's a little bit more going on there. And you look at the uh, like the, the 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 track map and say, huh, is that it? But prediction time. Do do we now dare to you know go against uh, Red Bull based on recent history, not just at the Mexican Grand Prix, but this uh, season alone? I mean. Just uh, I, I couldn't help but thinking after you know that second safety car last week at uh, at the U.S. Grand Prix, had it happened ten laps later, would have made like that finish in the race I think a little bit more more exciting than than, than it could have been. I mean, I think time at that point would have worked against Max a little bit more. I mean, at the end, I mean it, it was. Lewis, Lewis did the best that he could to try and hold him off and 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 retain and defend that lead. But I mean, there, there's no question between which is the faster and better car this year. It's it's not the Mercedes, it's the Red Bull. But I couldn't help but thinking afterwards that if that uh, that that safety car for Lance and Fernando happened about lap 35 or 40 out of lap was it 55 or 56 laps? How that might have uh, changed the 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 outcome of the uh, of the race? Are, are you going to be different no. than me, or are you, or are you just going to take the easy uh, way out and and, and go the with Red Bull for way the one two? Is that it's going to be a Red Bull dominant weekend? But the question is, does Sergio Perez get to enjoy and bask in the glory of winning a Formula One Grand Prix in his home country, where he is yeah. so greatly idolized and? Earlier this week, Max Verstappen made some comments indicating that there's absolutely no priority shift within that organization, within that team, that they will continue to do everything possible to put Max Verstappen in a position to win. And obviously, a lot of the speculation since uh, since Max wrapped up that World Drivers 
title is, would they do things differently that might put Sergio in a more favorable position to win a Grand Prix? doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. So if Sergio is going to win this race and, and enjoy the glory of winning a Mexican Grand Prix, he's going to have to earn it on merit, which means that he's going to have to qualify really well so he can get a great jump off the grid, mm-hmm. avoid the chaos at T1 and T2 and T3, um, and hopefully put some distance between him and the rest of the field. But I just, given the fact that Max knows this track so intimately, um, given the fact that he's raced so well this year, and given the fact that that package is just unstoppable, I don't see any reason why they don't dominate unless one, there's an unexpected collision between them and another car, or maybe, maybe Mm -hmm. that ultra high altitude has an impact on the power unit and the aerodynamics in ways that we can't yet predict. But I think the smart money is on, uh, maybe not a one, two, but Red Bull scoring a couple of podium finishes, uh, at this Grand Prix. Yeah, I have to wonder too. Possibly, what uh, Ferrari is going to, uh, you know, what what their say in this race is going to be. Because I, I think that last weekend at the U.S. Grand Prix was they didn't represent what they were fully capable of. I mean, they, they should have had a front row lockout, but of course, I, I mean, they did technically. But then Charles gets demoted halfway down the grid because of uh, you know grid penalties for various changes to equipment and parts on his car. And then Carlos being punted off and, you know, in turn one by George Russell and then retiring his car at the end of uh, lap one. I mean, Charles, I mean, full respect to him. I mean, he drove an incredibly good race to take it from 12th to get onto the podium. But I mean, you know, had Charles not been demoted down to 12th for the start of that race and had Carlos not been knocked out of the race on the very first lap makes me wonder how they would have done I, I mean of course you know hindsight is twenty twenty, and we can sit here and speculate and and kind of guess and talk about what Ferrari but had done last week at Coda but uh, I, I think that they, they've got a lot to race for I know that you know the, the, the championships are wrapped up but this I, I can't help but feeling is a season that slipped through Ferrari's fingers and I think that just from a pride point of view that they want to finish strong and, and win some races and and score you know and 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 record some polls and front row lockouts and just max out the the, the, the remainder of the season to just get something you know what I mean you Hannah? know it's funny you you bring that up because I was thinking about this earlier today that this was really the championship that Ferrari let get away. And two months ago, I was super invested in the notion that Ferrari let this championship get away. But as the championships continued, I don't really believe that Ferrari had a legitimate shot at either the constructors or the drivers. Oh, you moved away from that. I very much have. And, you know, like I said, two months ago, that that was my opinion that Red Bull is great, but Ferrari was also equally as great, but all of their industry kind of strategic indiscretions cost them this championship. I just don't think they have a package that can compete with Red Bull this year. And Red Bull was going to win this championship. Uh, Ferrari hung around. They probably should have hung around longer, but they were never going to be able to compete for this championship. You know, one one thing that I've sort of been let bounce around on the inside of my empty mind (laughs) is the, the, the question that did Ferrari... Like, like, is there problems? Because we we've seen them. Did let's say I'm I'm trying to articulate this. Did they sort of artificially inflate their own chances and our opinions of them 
because they just ran these cars to the absolute max. And because we saw when we talked about this, like very early into the season about the amount of like different engine components and ices and turbochargers and this and that, that the Ferrari were, they were going through, like they were going out of fashion, like every single bit on the car that could be replaced. And they, they were just, so, I mean, the, the car was obviously competitive, but I think they were just pushing it to the absolute extreme. And we, we saw these cars retire for mechanical reasons. And then, like you say, you know, their own strategic and tactical blunders along the way, which, you know, probably got more highlights and probably got more of the focus and more of the discussion about, but maybe just the, the, the fact that the, they push the car beyond its uh, capabilities is something that we just haven't talked about enough. No, you're nodding your head. It's obviously that this is part of the hour 40 in. I'm done. I'm done. Let's pack it up. (laughs) All right. I I, I know that look when when the eyes glaze over. It's like we're we're coming up to our maximum time. It's just like it's a nodding uh, look. And it's just like Hammy just wants to get out and uh, and call it a night. All right. Well, that that actually is a good place to do it. It wasn't exactly the way I was expecting to shut this one down. But, you know, you know, point taken. I, I got the hints. We'll, we'll I'll, I'll look for the, uh, the the closing music here. And so, as we do each and every time this week, uh, you, you like to make a little bit of reminder to everyone. And then while you do that, I'll yeah, find yeah, the, yeah. The, of course, the closing of course. Music, so we could, we could get it here with a little bit if of dignity. If you like what you hear, and I plead <laughs> and I plead, but if you like what you hear and you listen to us on Spotify, if you can give us a rating, it means the world to both of us. And if you listen via the Apple ecosystem, if you can give us a rating and a review review. That would be amazing. We cracked the 100 review mark recently, which was a big milestone for both of us. And we were both we were both very, very, very happy about that. And of course, if you'd like to give us a follow on Twitter um, and get updates primarily about yep. the show, we don't really use F1 Twitter, or we don't really use our Twitter account to share opinions and get into arguments and rant and rave. It's more just like, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's some updates. Let's have some fun. You can always follow us at f one pod uh we'd love to see you there and if you do follow us we make sure we follow everyone back and try to build a relationship because it's really good to see what our listeners are up to what you're interested in what you're following what you're saying because it helps inform the way that we approach and develop our show as well absolutely and uh just before we go i want to give a big shout out to all our tweeps that joined in the spaces chat also our very loyal friends that uh, join in on uh, the YouTube live stream each and every week. Always wonderful to, to see all the, uh, the, the, the the regulars again. And uh, of course, if you want to uh, get in on the email, send us an email at scooteryf1pod at gmail.com. And that's it. I've got nothing else. Hammy's got nothing else. He's, he's already packing up. He's already halfway out to his car. So on that note, enjoy the Mexican Grand Prix. We'll see you again on Sunday night for the the post-race recap. And until then, enjoy the weekend, enjoy the race, and we'll see you then. Bye for now.